raise your hand, we'll get you one of those. Genesis chapter number 30. And we are going to be talking about one of my favorite people in the Bible. Does anybody know my favorite person in the Bible? Good answer. He is my favorite by far. I'm very biased. Jesus is by far my favorite. Hands down. And no brainer, exactly. And so I wanted to, we were getting ready to go into a fall series for Wednesday nights, and I was debating where to go. And I thought for the kids in the room, I thought that, because there's a lot of kids in here on Wednesday nights, and I think that's an awesome thing to have kids sit in church because you get to see that church doesn't have to always just be fun and games. And I am all for the fun and games. And parents, aren't you glad for the junior churches and the Sunday school classes, the kids' clubs, because your kids get to learn the Word of God and be excited about it? I think that's wonderful. If they sat in here with us all the time, they, would be, they wouldn't be too happy all the time. But I also think it's very important at a young age that kids learn to sit in church and hear the Word of God being taught and preached and learn it at a young age so that way they're ready for it as they get older. Because you let them have fun as a kid, and then in junior high and high school, all fun, and then you throw them into the adult service, and they're like, where's the fun? Where's the snacks? Where's the all that good stuff? Like, pastor's boring. I'm not that boring. I can be at times, but not all the time. So I wanted to give a series that I thought could be a help to them. So kids in the room, I'm going to do my best to bring things down to your level on some of this. And I'm going to do my best to bring it up to the level for all the adults in the room and to give everyone something before the Bible study is over tonight. And so school just got started. Today's been crazy. I had elementary chapel, junior high and high school chapel, youth group after that, after school. And then I had a meeting with some teachers. And then now tonight, I feel like I've been more busy than a normal Sunday. We're going to start our series tonight on Joseph, and we're going to look tonight at Genesis chapter 30, verse number 22, and tonight I'm just going to give you the background story. Some of you might think, hey, pastor, my family's pretty messed up. You've seen nothing yet, okay? We're going to talk about a messed up family tonight. And so Genesis 30, verse number 22, and God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Let me give you one of the little helpful hints that come in the Word of God. A lot of times, like Bible names, the name Joseph right here, you can see the meaning of the word Joseph, his name, by the words that come right after it. The, there's a deep meaning, the meaning's right there. So the name Joseph, you see it says there, and she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. The name Joseph means Jehovah shall add, or has added. It's literally what his name means. And so tonight we're going to look at these things and just see the beginning of Joseph tonight. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. I pray you'd bless this time that we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Bible is filled with lots of different people. Lots of different people and a lot of people that made a lot of mistakes. 
You see that throughout Scripture. We know that Noah got drunk. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all lied to try and save themselves. Moses committed murder. David was guilty of adultery. Solomon was an idolater, if you want to call him that, and there was probably some other things. Peter cursed and he lied. John the Baptist doubted Jesus. And he's one of the greats. The list could go on and on. And yet, one thing we don't see a lot of in the story of Joseph, we do not see a lot of wrong done on his part. There are people that will say, well, certain things, you know, he shouldn't have been in Potiphar's wife's house by himself. He left and he didn't do anything that he shouldn't have done. So maybe he wasn't as wise as he could have been right there. Or some say he shouldn't have been tattletailing on his brothers. Well, it was his job to tell his dad what was going on, right? So was he really wrong there? Some say, well, maybe he shouldn't have told his dreams. You've got to go pretty far out there to really pinpoint terrible things on Joseph. I'll just put it out there like that tonight. But when we look at this, did you realize he receives the same number of chapters in the Bible as Abraham does? Abraham is the patriarch, right? You think of Abraham, you think of Israel and so many things. But something that's very interesting as we look and we think about that, though they have the same amount of chapters, Joseph has 25% more verses about him than there are about Abraham. Joseph's talked about quite a bit. Joseph lived 110 years, quite a long time. He was not the firstborn son. He was the 11th born son, which is a crazy thought there as well. And we c you think about this, though he's mentioned so much in the Old Testament, he's only mentioned four times in the New Testament. For sake of time, I'm not going to show you those verses, but in your notes there, you have the verses where he is mentioned four times. As we talk about Joseph and as we go deeper into it, we could think, I don't see one time he ever complained. And maybe the Bible just doesn't show us that. And maybe in a prison cell he did complain just a little bit. Or in a pit. But the Bible doesn't show me anywhere that Joseph complained. It doesn't show me that he ever compromised. It doesn't ever show me that he lost the excellent spirit that he had in the midst of all the garbage that was thrown his way. I don't see those things. He never wavered. And so I believe that a great testimony to us and a great man to look at and to study his life would be Joseph. Because there's so much that we can learn from him. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. If I were to give you a narrative of Joseph's life, and you got to remember, we got the advantage of seeing the Bible and we get to see the whole story. We get to see how it all plays out. But a week ago, Sunday night, we talked about Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I think that verse should have been up on the screen, but I, maybe not. Romans 8, 28. Is it supposed to be up there? There it is. That's a little bit weird formatting, isn't it? I'll have to look at that. It just looks a little weird. But Joseph lived that life. God worked it together for good. And so 
As we dive in tonight, I want you to see one other verse we'll put up on the screen, then I'll give you some points we'll be done. Genesis 50, verse number 20. This is the end of Joseph's life. His brothers, his dad has just passed away. And his brothers make this claim, Dad wanted you to forgive us. That's a real good claim to make, isn't it? Those guys were up to no good like they always were. And this was Joseph's response. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. The theme over the next 10 to 15 weeks is going to be God meant it for good. I hope to show you over the next several weeks how God can take every circumstance in life, no matter who it comes from or what evil was planned towards you, that you can come out better on the other side of it through the Lord, like Joseph did. And you got to understand, I want you to realize tonight, there's an all-powerful, all-knowing God working behind the scenes in your life when you don't understand what's going on. He does. And God doesn't bring the evil into your life, but God will, through the evil, make things work together for good. That's what the Bible teaches us. As we dive in tonight, we hear a lot in our world today about dysfunctional homes. And I realize that the home, we look at homes today, the home is under attack. And the home needs to be a place of refuge today. And Satan's doing his best to attack it. But I want you to understand, when we think about divorce, sin, absent parents, other evils, things that, rebellion that comes into the home, in many cases we'll look at children and say, well, these kids don't stand a chance because of their environment. Because this has happened or because of these things. I want you to understand tonight, you don't have to be a victim of your environment. Joseph was not a victim of his environment. Joseph did what was right in spite of his environment, in spite of all the evil that his brothers had done. You know, we're told in this world we're a byproduct of our environment. That is not true. It does not have to be true. We're told that our background shapes our lives to such a degree that how we're raised will determine how we will live. And certain things... You might have certain likes and dislikes, and there might be certain things about you that you get from growing up in the home you grew up in. But at the end of the day, everyone has to make a choice for themselves. And that choice is what it comes down to. Joseph takes that thought of you are your environment and blows it out of the water. You see, before Joseph was thrown into a pit, before he served as a slave in Potiphar's house, before he sat in prison, and before he stood as before Pharaoh as prime minister of Egypt, Joseph spent his younger years, his formative years, in a home that was marked by sin, sadness, strife, and struggles. Yet Joseph became one of the greatest men that were pinned about in the word of God. Talk about number one tonight. We see number one, we see the miracle of Joseph's birth. 
the miracle of Joseph's birth. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of background to the story tonight. And in all honesty, you ever read a book and you're like, there is no way that's true. Or you watch a movie and you're like, that's all made up. There is no way that literally happened. When we look and we think about some of the things that led to Joseph being born, you might say, there's no way, but the Bible says it. And the Bible's always right. So when we think about this and the miracle of Joseph's birth, we see letter A, the testimony of his birth. The testimony of his birth. You say, oh, what's that testimony? Joseph was born into a family that had controversy from the very beginning. Now, listen up here, okay? Jacob fell in love with his cousin, a girl named Rachel. They did things a little bit differently in those days, okay? And I don't suggest you do that today. This happened here. He agreed to work for his uncle Laban for seven years to marry Rachel. The agreement was made. Jacob's going to get married. Somehow, somewhere in between here, Laban decides Rachel's older sister, Leah, needs to get married first before Rachel does. And somehow he snuck Leah as the bride. Maybe, you know, in my mind, how does that happen? Did, was the veil so thick you just couldn't see a thing? Was it midnight when they got married and there were no candles lit? And then, could you just imagine Jacob waking up the next morning thinking he married Rachel and he married the older sister? What a thought right there. And when you look at that and you see these things, the deal was struck in seven years he served, not just for Leah, he served seven more years. And he married both of them. Think about that one for a minute. Sisters, I can't handle one woman. Imagine two, and at that, rival sisters. Think about that for a minute. Let me give you a little help here before we go further. God never intended for a man to marry more than one woman. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, did he give... He didn't put Steve with Adam, right? We know that one. That's fact. Didn't put Eve and her sister there. It was Adam and Eve. God's plan was one man, one woman. That's God's plan. Say, well, why did God bless men like Jacob when they would do things like this? Do you see how their children turned out? Every Read in the Bible. Every man that married more than one woman. Tell me how good their families were. Because God knows what he's doing. God is, I taught this to the teens today, God is the one who designed us. He's the one who knows what's best for us. You know, I have an Apple phone. If I have a problem with my Apple phone, I'm not going to go to Samsung and ask them to fix my Apple phone. I'll go to an Apple store or go to someone with Apple. So when it comes to marriage, when it comes to how these things are all designed, God's the one who created life. God's the one who designed marriage. So you must go to God to see how it's supposed to be done. So God's design was one man, one woman. And in fact, we think about Solomon. God wrote in the book of Deuteronomy, long before Solomon ever had a wife, 
that if whoever you have as king should have one wife. The more women you have, the more his heart's going to get turned away from the Lord. God knew those things, and man's never been smart enough just to follow what God says. So we see that Jacob marries Leah and Rachel. And we know that Jacob didn't really love Leah. He loved Rachel. That's the one he wanted to marry. And so God saw those things, and God allowed Leah to have children. Leah had four sons to begin with. And if you know Reuben, Simon, or Simeon, Levi, and Judah, you could go read the verses on those, and you could see how each one of those names has a very special meaning. Leah's first thought is, I have a son, Reuben, now my husband's going to love me. And it just goes on down the line to those four. So four children are born of Leah. Rachel's not able to have children. So what happens? Leah, I mean Rachel, gives her handmaiden to Jacob's wife, Bilhah. Bilhah gives her two more children, Dan and Nathalie. Leah sees this and thinks that she's done having children, so she gives her handmaiden to Jacob to marry, to have children of her. Zilpah is her name. And Zilpah had two children, Gad and Asher. And after a time, Leah ended up having three more children by Jacob. Issachar, Zebulun, and a daughter named Dinah. Are you confused yet? There are four women married to one man. It all started by the... Uh, and now, let's go back for a second. Do you think if Jacob wouldn't have tricked his brother Esau, he might have not reaped what he had sown? You do reap what you sow. Jacob was a trickster. And his uncle was a trickster with him. Has four wives children from three of them. And then we see the fact that Rachel was not able to have children yet. And God allowed her, as in those verses we read, God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, opened her womb. She conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. God knew what he was doing in the midst of all this craziness. It's craziness in a crazy home with four moms and sisters and handmaidens, and it's crazy. That's the testimony of the home that Joseph came from. We see letter B, we see the triumph of his birth. triumph of his birth. Jacob was proud of all of his children, his sons. He was probably pleased to have a little girl. Something special about having a girl. But still there was something missing in his life. Because the woman who he loved wasn't able to give him any children yet. 
And so God heard her prayers, opened up her womb, and Joseph was born. And we think about the joy that came into that home at that moment. But that joy also led to some jealousy from other brothers, which we'll talk about later on. We see letter C also, we see the timing of his birth. Joseph was the 11th son born to Jacob. Reuben was the firstborn. From all outward appearances, you're at a disadvantage in a family in Bible days being the 11th born. The number one son is who you wanted to be, not the 11th born son. From a human perspective, he was one of the lowest men on the totem pole. He was going to be picked on. He was the young guy. The timing from a human perspective was not great timing. But God knew the right time for Joseph to be born into his family. And you might be looking at your own life tonight and feeling like everybody and everything is against you. Don't count the Lord out. He's got And he's still working his plan. And God does all things at the right time. We see, number one, the miracle of Joseph's birth. Number two, we see Joseph's childhood. Joseph's childhood. Now tonight, there's a ton of background here. Next week, there will not be all this background. So I told you before he was born what led up to his birth, right? Four different moms in the home, all these different kids, and really it was just a contest of who could get Jacob's love more than the other and who could get his attention. Now I want you to see Joseph's childhood, what happened during that time. We see letter A, we see the problem areas of his childhood. Now I could go on for two days going through the problem areas of his childhood. But for sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of them. But his early years, there were a lot of things that happened. We talked about some of the problems already, about four moms and all these things in the home living under the same roof. And add to this the fact that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved the others. And so there was already that jealousy factor in the home and at a young age, you think about this, one night, jo uh, Jacob just left his uncle's house, left Laban. He couldn't stay there anymore because he felt that Laban wasn't being fair to him. And then Laban's family thought that he was stealing the best from them. And so one night, Jacob decided to leave. Well, Rachel decided to take her father's gods and keep them on her cart with her, and she sat on top of them. So one night, Laban catches up, Uncle Laban catches up to, Joseph, to Jacob and the whole family as they're going away. Imagine taking 11 kids, four wives, and all your stuff and getting away in the middle of the night. Not with cars or airplanes or trains. Now think about that one for a little bit. Laban catches up, and Laban is upset that his gods were taken from him. 
Joseph's mom lies and says, it's the custom right now, I cannot get up. She has to sit down while she was on top of the gods. It ends up, by the time it's done, they didn't leave peaceably with one another. And that's the last time Laban ever saw his family there. That's funny, you call him Uncle Laban, Father-in-law Laban. There's lots of names you could call him there, and so all these things. But when you look at these different things and you study them out, that happened. Then word comes as Jacob's traveling that his brother Esau is around. And do you remember Jacob and Esau had some problems of their own, didn't they? And wasn't one of the last times that Esau and Jacob were somewhere close, Jacob had to flee because Esau was going to kill him? Problems. Those problems take place. Joseph's older sister, Dinah, was raped by Shechem. Two of his brothers, Simeon and Levi, deceived those people and end up killing them. And that comes in later on with, Jacob, with Jacob's blessing to the family, which maybe we'll look at at the end of these things. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, dies in, in Genesis 35, 8. These things happen. Jacob does not right the wrong of his sons. Rachel dies while giving birth to Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph's other grandfather, Isaac, dies and is buried. Jacob's, or Joseph's older brothers did a lot of wicked things. And they were very self-centered, and Jacob did nothing to stop them from doing the things that they did. Jacob was guilty of favoritism towards Joseph, gave him a coat of many colors. Joseph lost his mom at a young age. We talked about that a minute ago. If you took Joseph's childhood, it was surrounded by rape, murder, incest, Treachery, intrigue, idolatry, jealousy, death, and hatred. That's not the type of home you want to raise a child in. And yet that's the home that Joseph came from. Say, where did all of this come from? I think, my watch doesn't need to give me the answer because it doesn't know. Where did all that come from? We could go back to great-grandpa, right? And his lying about his own wife. And the handmaiden they took out of Egypt. A lot of times sins are passed generation to generation to generation. We could spend a lot of time on that. I just want to give you a few blanks that are there. If you, you think about this, if you want to build a dysfunctional home, here's some things you can do to build a dysfunctional home. Are you ready? Number one. Number one, be less than truthful with one another. You want a dysfunctional home? Don't tell the truth. Be deceitful with one another. You want to have a bad home? I'm giving you the ways to do it right now. Here's another one. Number two, be jealous of other family members. You want a bad dysfunctional home? Be jealous of other family members. 
Number three, demonstrate favoritism to your children. That should never happen. You should love all your children the same. Here's another one. You want to have dysfunction in your home? Try to help God accomplish his will in your home. God doesn't need your help. A lot of times we think we can help God. You can't help God. God will get it all figured out. He knows what he's doing. God didn't need Abraham's help. He doesn't need our help. Next, practice deception so you can get your way. You want a dysfunctional home? Do these things. Number six, operate outside the will of God. Operate outside the will of God. You want a dysfunctional home? These are the things. You say, well, how do I not have a, a dysfunctional home? Do the opposite. I think you can figure that one out right there. Next, live a life of anger, manipulation, and control. You want dysfunction in your home? There you go. And basically what it comes down to is sin is always the root cause of dysfunction in the home. Sin always is. Did I give you enough negatives about his childhood? Was there quite a few negatives there? I didn't even tell you that his oldest brother ended up sleeping with the handmaiden, one of Jacob's handmaidens too. And all that happened there. And I could go further down the list. There's lots of things. This family was very messed up. Very sinful. And when you go away from doing things God's way, that you open up the door to these things. But I want to give you, a, there are some positive things that happen. So let her be the positive areas of his childhood. And like I said tonight, tonight it's a lot of storytelling about a lot of different things. We're almost done. Next week it will be a lot more basic, few verses, traditionally like how we do it. But some of the positive things that happen, one of them was the night that Jacob sent his family ahead and he stayed behind to pray before meeting with Esau. And Jacob encountered God that night, and God changed his life forever. You can write down these verses and look at them later if you want. Genesis 32, verse 24 through 32. When Jacob catches up to his family later on, he's got a limp that would never leave him the rest of his life. At the moment he met God, God changed things in his life. He prayed a prayer to God, and I don't have time to go through all of it, but he prayed a prayer to God pretty early in his life, Jacob did, and he said, God, if you're with me, then you can be my God. And if you bless me, and if you take care of me, then I'll let you be my God. That's how he worded it. He got to meet God, and God set him straight on some things. And the night he left God and got to know God, his life was changed forever. He had a limp forever, and God changed his name. The name Jacob means trickster, deceiver, heel grabber. Remember, he grabbed the heel of Esau on the way out. That's where the name comes from. And his name was changed to Israel, a prince with God. Jacob had a new name. Did Jacob still do some of the old? Th of course he did. How many of us still do some of the old man things, being a new man in the Lord? We look at these things. We also think about the fact that God called Jacob back to Bethel. And Jacob got his family to worship God right again in Genesis chapter 35. And so we see there are some positive things that take place 
But I want, you to, and I want you to understand something. Just because there was so much negative there doesn't mean that Joseph couldn't turn. But also, parents, let me put a little plug in here for you tonight to be a good example for your kids in your home. Teach them the Word of God. Live out what you teach your children. You are the best testimony of God for them in your home. And that's so important. We see that's something that was missing in the life of Joseph here. And as we close out tonight, the message we get, number three, the message from Joseph's battles. Man, before he was born, the craziness in his home, the craziness of his younger years, what's the message that we can get out of these? What's the application? What can we take home tonight and move forward with? Letter A, there's a message of hope. If the early years of Joseph's life teach us anything, it teaches us that your childhood does not have to ruin you. On the same note, church, your past should never be allowed to define you. You move forward. Just because you came up rough doesn't mean you have to live that way now. Just because you were raised with harsh words in your home doesn't mean that you have to use those same words and display that same temper today. You can overcome your past with God's help. To look at how you act and say, well, that's just how I was raised, is a cop-out. Well, my mother was ill-mannered and my dad was like this, or my parents were negative, so I can't help it. A bad temper runs in my family, so it's just something. Alcohol abuse runs in my family, all these different things. Yeah, I want you to understand something. No, you can choose to be different today. You don't have to do those things. Hey, Joseph didn't have to be like dad. Joseph didn't have to be like his grandpa. Joseph didn't have to be like his brothers. Joseph made his decisions for his life. And hey, tonight, you don't have to say, well, my, my future's doomed because look at these things. No, it's not. And I know, parents, we look today at our world and we say, this world's getting worse and worse, and it's getting worse and worse to raise kids. Kids can still turn out for God in 2021 like any other day. You tell me the world wasn't, any, wasn't crazy back here for Joseph? His world's more crazy than my world's ever been. There's a message of hope. With God, you can turn out. Things can turn out all right. To blame your actions on people in your past is nothing more than someone not willing to get right with God and move forward. God will change you if you let him. The problem is most of us don't want him to change us, and we don't change. God can change you, but if you don't want to change, he won't change you. There's a message of hope. There's a message letter B for the home. If there's a takeaway from the home of Joseph, it's the truth that our homes need to be sanctuaries for godliness. Parents, we need to be a better example for our kids. It's not do what I say and I just live my own life. 
It's I'm living this, and you're going to follow what I'm doing. You be the example. You set the example for them. Our homes need to be a place where our children can hear the gospel and see it lived out. Our homes need to be a place where God's word is read, where God's word is honored, and where it's lived out by mom and dad. Our homes need to be a place of worship where Jesus is lifted up. Our homes need to be a place where the voice of the Holy Spirit is able to speak to the hearts and to lead us down the right path. And whether you have children or not, you ought to pray that to the end. Every home that makes up this church should shine as a light for those around us. We see what's the message here. There's a message of hope. Hey, if Joseph can make it, you can make it. There's a message for our homes. Let her see, and lastly, there's a message of help. When I take a step back and I look at Joseph and all the problems that plagued those early years of his life, there's a great blessing I can take away with me. I'm grateful that God could take a young man, a young man's life, in the midst of all this craziness, and he could refine it, shape it, and purify it, and make something for his glory out of him. Looking at Joseph from the outside, considering all the problems, the dysfunction of his home, all these things, it would have been easy to write Joseph off and say he could never do anything. Look at the home he comes from. It gives me hope and help as a parent because I'm far from perfect as a parent. And if God could take a messed up home like that and get a Joseph out of that home, I think God could do something in a home with a messed up parent like me with my kids. It gives me hope as a pastor I see children that grow up and it seems like the, the deck is stacked against them. It's a comfort to know that God can work in their lives and make it all okay. You don't have to have a dad to make it in life. With God, you can make it. You don't have to have all the money in the world. With God, you can make it. Life doesn't have to be perfect. But with God, you can make it through. When we look at the Bible, and we think about all the people that God used, he used the most unlikely people all the time. Who do you think he would have chosen to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles? It wouldn't be the guy that's killing all the Christians, would it? It was Paul. That's the guy he used. The boy that was the man after God's own heart, David, no one would have picked David to be the guy that God used him. And God saw the 11th in line, Joseph, and had big plans for this young man. We're going to look over the next several weeks how there was dreams given and he had big plans and big goals. God accomplished it all, but not the way Joseph would have thought. And there's some of you in this room tonight, you look at your life and where you're at today, and you're like, I never thought I would be where I'm at today. God knows it. God sees it, and God's right there. 
He'll get you through right where you're supposed to be. You're going to be just fine. Trust him in the process. He will get you where you need to be. He's a good God. He loves you. And all things work together for good.